Welcome in listeners to another episode of the Busby Bay podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined once again by Nathan Heinchel and Polly Questel. Uh, how's it going, boys? It's going better for me than it is for, you know, the football things. Yeah. Did you, uh, did the- you take some of my uh, tips on how to take care of yourself after disappointing United performances? Um... Yes, in that, well, I did it before I even read your piece, but I just immediately logged off Twitter afterwards. But also, we've already hit this point in the season weeks and weeks ago. We've talked about it, like how I'm just in that Spider-Man phase of uh, you can't disappoint me if my expectations are on the floor. And like, I just, I was happy with what I saw in the first half. And then in the second half, I was just, you know, laughing. Same old. How much Beach House would you say you've been listening to recently, Polly? Zero. <laughs> There's your problem. Um, by the way, uh, they've got their new album has come out in four parts. I think part four comes out uh, later this month around the time of uh, the Champions League with Atletico Madrid. So that uh, that'll be good timing. But what matters we have a Red Hot Chili Pepper single for the first time in the. I don't know, seven years. But is John Fruciani back? He is. Oh my goodness. All right. I'm what, actually going to listen to them. What's really funny is the opening verse, though. It sounds like Anthony Kiedis is doing a fake Irish accent. It's really bizarre. I, I'm not quite sure what was happening. But the I mean, instruments sound good. When you're a band making music together for like 40 years, you know, you got to mix it up at some point, right? So, um, yeah, Manchester United drew 1-1 with Burnley in um, another performance of they started pretty well. They didn't finish off their chances, and then in the second half, they switched off for a minute. And, um, you know, despite being pretty organized and playing well defensively for most of the match, it ended 1-1. Yeah, Nathan, were you going to say something? Well, I I think I just need to, right off the bat, I just need to come clean with you guys. he didn't as, watch you, the game. <laughs> as you know, I was in a meeting, uh, and that's why I could not cover the tweets. Um, and I got out of the meeting right as halftime was ending. And so I finally flipped on the game right as Burnley scored. So <laughs> that, <laughs> the L is my fault, guys. I am so sorry. I, I mean, just want to get out in front of this before you know I get, get canceled or something. You, you know, maybe... Um, in more normal times, I would believe in the jinx in this situation in particular, but, uh, you know, pretty much from the get go of the second half, it looked like Burnley were more ready to try and score goals than they were at any point in the first half. So, um, I think I'll cut you a little bit of slack there. And they took advantage of the fact that we just play with a massive gaping hole in the middle of the park. (laughs) Right. And, um, you know, a uh, friend of the show, Carl Anka, tweeted after the Middlesbrough game that he wasn't sure he would that uh, Ralph Ragnick would try this 4-3-3, uh, leaving Scott McTominay in, in charge of the middle again. And um, R- Ragnick comes out and tries it again in the very next game. And uh, the result is the same. It's a 1-1 draw after 90 minutes. Um, do I'm we- not... I'm not right. sure if it was a 4-3-3. Like, this is this has been the question that's been on my mind for 
I don't know, two games now. Is this a 4-3? Everybody keeps saying it's 4-3-3 because I think we want that to be yeah. the case. And obviously in possession, they, they do things and like Bruno drops, Bruno's dropping deeper sometimes, et cetera. But like, you know, your formations never, you know, your in possession formation is always different. It was like that under, you know, it's like that for every team. United Arena posted twice about after the Middlesbrough match and the what and the whatever who would we just lose to Burnley match like the average position you look at it is very much like a four two three one and in out of possession they're defending like a four four two like they've been doing all season and I said this to Carl before the match I said is it a four three three or is it a four two three one because to me this is like a we keep calling it a four three three but it's a like if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. It's probably a duck situation. And his response was, ask Scott McTominay, which I decided not to follow up on because I wasn't entirely sure what that meant. Um, but the question is, if it was a 4-3-3, like when you look at it for the past two games, Scott McTominay is always on the same line as Paul Pogba. And is that where he's supposed to be? Or is he supposed to be further deeper because he's the deepest midfielder? And... Or it's if if it's a four two three one like then we know the McTominay Pogba pivot doesn't really work never really has uh, they've only won like two games in the Premier League together and one of them was the debacle against West Ham where they probably shouldn't have won but like it goes back to the question of like can McTominay do this because whenever you've asked him to play in a four three three he this is kind of what he does. He's always on the same line as as someone. Uh, if you go back to like the Arsenal match last season, the one that they lost 1-0, um, remember they played a diamond against Leipzig with Matic deep and then Fred and Pogba on the wings, and then they came out and said, oh, it was so effective against Leipzig, we're going to do it again against Arsenal. Like they, they came out and said that, except when you watch the match, it was Fred was the deepest, was supposed to be the deepest one with... Pogba on the left, McTominay on the right, except McTominay was always right next to Fred. So it, it just seems to me like he doesn't understand the lines and like where he's supposed to be and add that to all the other things that he just doesn't seem to understand in midfield. And you end up with results like we're not dominating Burnley and it looks a lot like two seasons ago at the beginning of the season where United were the better team in most of the games they played, but weren't clinical in front of net and left it so that either a moment of magic or a mistake would ruin the result. And those things kept seeming to happen against Wolves. It was the Ruben Neves strike against Bournemouth. It was the mistake to allow that Josh King goal. And that keeps happening. And, this happened in, I mean, obviously there was a lot of excitement before the game from our corner of the United fandom in terms of uh, Ronaldo was benched and Cavani got the start and it looked like United were set up to, you know, create the same amount of chances they did against Middlesbrough, but hopefully be more clinical. And then that just wasn't the case, you know, aside from the fact that there were two goals taken off the board for United in this game as well. Um that needs to be mentioned pretty, I mean, 
the McGuire call, uh, the, the offside on the McGuire go- call, I thought how, was... how much that's been forgotten. Yeah. It's, it's just really hard, I think, to accept that, like, in these past two games, we're just putting, only scoring one goal down to, you know, freak incidents or just, like, it's not your day. When, like... It, it was pretty clearly the case in the Burnley game, probably more so than the Middlesbrough game, because of those two goals taken away, you know, by VAR. But at, at some point, you know, the, things have got to get better. At some point, you've got to start putting the ball in the back of the net with how many times you're getting in front and, you know, getting these chances. Yeah. And the argument there is, look, they did dominate those games. They They gave Burnley... One chance, one legitimate chance, which came from a comical amount of errors. Like, they had so many chances to defuse the situation, and Scott McTominay seemed hell-bent on making as many mistakes as he can in one situation and forcing his teammates to be in situations where they were going to make poor choices or or mistakes. Burrow, sort of the same thing was they had one five-minute stretch where, again, like McTominay just forgot how to play midfield and, like, left it wide open, gets caught on on the side, Burrow changed fields, go the other way, and they benefit from, like, a glorious handball. And against West Ham, they gave them nothing. They just didn't do a good job. Like, West Ham, they they took, like, 20-something shots, but none of them were good except for Rashford's. Um. So they're they're not allowing shots anymore, and they're not, and they're taking a lot. So in that regard, it's good. Having said that, like you know, Colin, you're right. There's they played a championship side, and they played Burnley, who are very firmly in the relegation zone. And since Ragnick has taken over, they have also played Newcastle, who are bottom of the table and did not beat them. And they've played Norwich, who have managed to climb out of the relegation zone, or at least they did it when I looked at the table some point this midweek. I don't mm-hmm. know if they're currently if they're currently back in there. And they barely squeaked by thanks to a penalty. And you just look at it, it's like, okay, so they, they did manage to beat West Ham, who are fighting with them for the top four, but other than that, like the when they faced I mean, good teams, they haven't won. <laughs> West Ham was is probably the only team we can qualify as good in terms of, you know, like a broad view of things that Renick has played since he's taken over, which is a little bit worrying because on the horizon, quickly, we have Atletico Madrid twice, Manchester City, Liverpool, and Tottenham. That's the reason to be worried. And yeah, like... It's like, it's great. It, it, if you could chalk this up to freak occurrences that we that we didn't score more provided that um, you actually continue to do this against the good teams. Yeah. And I don't think they created that many good chances against Burnley. They had the Cavani header, which was a great chance. And other than that, it was really, you had Rashford taking two very good shots, but from very tough angles where Mm -hmm. people said, oh, he should have crossed the ball, slowed that down. There's no crossing option. It's not a it's not a great shot, but like in that regard, like cross it to a guy double covered or take a shot, maybe hope that the goalkeeper mishandles yeah, I mean, the rebound or makes a mistake. And he hit it very hard and Nick Pope just did really a really good job on it. But other than that, they didn't 
create great chances. And that's another reason to worry. Right. I, I think with Rashford in those situations, too, you're thinking, you know, if you hit the ball hard enough, it just increases the chances that something's going to happen. Or it's like it's going to bounce around and, you know, create chaos, which is what you want. Also, when you're playing next to Cavani, who's, you know, ready and waiting in those situations. Nick Pope had a really good game for Burnley, and you know, they're obviously really fortunate not to be 3-0 down. But this persistent narrative of Manchester United not being able to finish off these games in, over the last couple of months or so, especially against teams where they should be finishing off these games, I just worry that it's you know slipping into the heads of the squad a little bit, especially with everything else that's happened this season. I mean... Isn't that why you went out and got like a clinical finisher? <laughs> that's that's the problem. It's like, oh, if the chances are there, now is like when you need the clinical finishing. Last year they didn't need it. Last year it was more we're not creating the chances enough. And I mean to an extent from what I just said 60 seconds ago, we're not creating good chances enough. But I was really unimpressed with Edinson Cavani in this game. And I mean, I've I've said this multiple times sort of in jest, but like the, the biggest thing Ronaldo has done is make me really like Cavani because I was never the biggest Cavani fan. And I've never really thought that he's the starter United need. Uh, you know, he never really is, is he, he clicked as a starter last year against Tottenham, a bad Tottenham team that fired their manager a, a day later, or maybe that day. And in the Roma matches where it's like, Oh great. You, did that against the Serie A team. Like, Serie A is the league that we know where old strikers go to prolong their careers because they could have a lot of success there. Cavani, to me, has always made his best impact for United as a sub, and he started this match, and it was like, all right, you'll play on the on the shoulder of the center backs, which will let Pogba and Bruno and Sancho have all that space underneath because you won't have to worry about a guy dropping deep. And then you look at like his average position in the box or his average position in the game. And he's deeper than Pogba and Bruno. And it was like, he kept dropping deep, but he's not contributing to the build up. And he, he, he wasn't dropping deep in the same way as Ronaldo does where he was getting in people's way. He wasn't, he just was a complete non-entity. So it's right. like still building up and doing all this stuff with only 10 players only it's really nine because McTominay doesn't contribute to that. And United only United only attempted 28 passes to Scott McTominay, which was a number that like I had to do a quadruple take when I saw at solo. So ridiculously bad. And so now you're trying to like build up with nine outfield players. That's a disadvantage. And Cavani did not help in that regard. And he had his, he had the movement in the box, which is nice. He had the header, but like, let's be honest, like, in that situation, like Ronaldo would have been in that situation right there too. So it's it's like what what was Cavani adding? And and I think United still haven't figured. It, it's kind of a. Uh, I was talking I mean, straight about this. Like their problem is that they've alienated Anthony Martial, and they kind of need him right now. Yeah, it. I don't think Cavani or Ronaldo are really the kind of forwards that Renick wants in his system. Um. <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of this, but uh, I remember Fitz posting that thing in the group about us being linked with Timo Werner at one point. Um, 
And I think that would be pretty funny. But anyway. We need people who can finish, Colin. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, United are suddenly in the situation where, like, going into the season, we're one of the many reasons we were upset about the Ronaldo signing was we didn't think we needed another forward. And now we're in a situation where, you know, do we have anyone that can properly fill that number nine role in the setup that we have? You know, we're we're losing... The setup yeah. has changed, and I don't think it was a, you know, you had this idea of, okay, you have Cavani who will go out there and he'll play. And if you're going to play with Pogba on the left wing, he'll give him that space to do that. And he can't play every day, but you also have Martial and Greenwood to rotate in there. And now you have, you don't have either of those two. And... Yeah. Once Ronaldo came in, like that was it for Martial. Because remember, Martial started against Southampton. And it was like, why? Like, we just won 5 1. Why are we making this change? And it was like, Ali made it very clear, like, Martial's a big part of the plans here, and he wants to get him going. And he had a surefire goal cleared off the line in that game, too. Did he? No, he was terrible in that game. Yeah, but I mean, that would have been a goal that maybe got his confidence up. It was cleared off the line by Southampton. Oh, right, on that set piece. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know what? Here's the thing, though. I've, we, we said, how many times did we say this last year? Like, all right, he scored four no, dude, goals last year. He just needs year. to score one. It's fine. And he scored four goals last year, and after every single one, we were like, all right, that'll do it. That'll get his confidence up. Glove season, baby. It's, it's really, for Martial, it's about getting that second one in a row. Um, he did that against Southampton last year, too. No, 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 not in, not two in one game, but oh, two games two, in a row. Two games in a row because you know he's the streaky guy. But yeah, I mean, he, I don't know if we can put anyone's start of goal scoring form um, in a game that finished nine nothing. Yeah, but I thought he played really well against Watford and like did the things in build up that you'd want to see and like what he brings to the table. Mm-hmm. But then Maguire got sent off and everything kind of fell fell apart. And then the next game they started in more than him. one sense. Yeah, well, they started him, who'd they play, Villarreal, and it was also looking good, and then, because they had Ronaldo on the right and Martial on the left, and then Ronaldo was like, I'm going to play on the left now, and it was like, oh, well, that kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> yeah. Nathan, we should talk about Harry uh, Maguire, though. Oh, yeah, I, I was going to make a real quick comment, though. Nathan, your boy, Dan James, is scoring at goals again, and, uh, you know, fitting nicely into a system. Have, have you been able to watch any of his games? Um, I haven't. I, I've gotten to listen, um, especially to the football ramble. They had some some nice things to say about my boy Daniel. Um, was, I'm just glad. I'm just I'm just glad that he's he's fitting in nicely in Yorkshire, and he's, ma- he's making he's new a, friends. He's making new friends. You know, they're just one of those things where if. It, 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 you can't get upset about it. Like it, it, if it wasn't going to work out at United, it wasn't going to work out at United. And he finally got to make the move to Leeds that he probably should have made to begin with. So if and Bielsa uh, is a great manager, I, I I think that's fair to say. And so if that's a guy that he wants and he's being utilized the way that Bielsa thinks, he, I mean, this guy's I won't say the sky's still the limit for Dan James, but I don't see why he can't you know be a serviceable player and. <laughs> You know, when you when you watch a guy like him he's doing that, you're like, man, that'd be nice if he's doing it right here, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why we got Jesse Lingard, so he can come in with like three minutes left in the game. 
run around, try some spectacular shots. I really thought he was about to curl one in um, from the you know angle that the TV camera was pointing at, uh, but it turned out it was deflected and going nowhere near the goal. Wasn't a bad effort though. No. Um, from my stupid vibes brain, because I can't turn it off, even though there's no vibes to analyze at this point. Um, in the last three matches, Manchester United has attempted 70 shots. Like, it, that's the problem uh, that Polly was getting at. And it reminds me of a, a couple of years ago when we were going through, you know, attacking ineptitudes. We weren't taking a lot of shots. And I, I remember, you know, watching some of the, the fan cams back when that was a thing that I would watch. But I, I have since sworn them off because they're all trash, um, including us. Uh, we're also trash. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, I just remember like full time devils always complain. They're like, just shoot the ball and see what happens. Well, now we're at the point where we're shooting the ball to see what happens and nothing's happening. So it's like. Same, uh, we're getting this, it's a different problem, but we're still getting to the same endpoint. And so that's, this is the new challenge that we have to fix because of course, as you've mentioned, we couldn't have anticipated just how, you know, off of the beaten path our situation with our crop of forwards was going to go, you know, at the beginning of the year or at the beginning of the season. But like, that's something that we have to adjust for now. Um, but yeah, it all of a sudden it really looks like a mess real fast. Yeah. Everything will be okay when we get Erling Holland in the summer though. Right. We just need a coach. We need a striker. We need a midfielder. We need a center back. It's just, it's each, each one it's, it's, we get, we get one player in there and that solves the problems. And it's again, and that's, that's how United fans are. And that's, Frankly, how the club has operated over the last eight years, and it's never been, uh, huh? Maybe it's like a, a combination of everything. Like we, sort of need the right players, and also, you need to. You could get the right player, but if you don't put him next to the right player, it's not going to work. And then fans get annoyed when they hear this, and they go, "We spent so much money on this guy, and now you want to tell me like he needs a partner? Like, no, for that kind of money." He should be doing it all. And it's like, eh, that's not how football works. Again, I raise the point. And it would just be probably more cost effective if we bought Borussia Dortmund. Yep. Instead of instead of trying to, you know, go a la carte and buy the players that we want, because clearly we are going to be connected to Jude Bellingham until he finally moves to wherever he goes. We're, we're going to be connected to Erling Holland. Um, everyone's complaining about center backs. Guess what? Dortmund just got Nicholas Sula from, from Bayern Munich. So watch him have like a breakout season and then we could get connected to him too. <laughs> Let's just buy Bruce Dortmund, bro. Here's the thing about Dortmund. I mean, they're second in the Bundesliga again, but like they're I not. I wish we had Axel Witzel from like five years ago. Yeah. Like if we five years ago, that would have been a good sign. Five years ago, Witzel. So like Nemanja Matic five years ago, whenever we signed Nemanja Matic. <laughs> yeah. That's when they should have yeah. signed Axel Witzel. Oh. Um, or most of them. So, although he's like older than Matic. Oh. But anyway, uh, I wouldn't. Dortmund aren't having the best of seasons this year, and and they can't defend at all. They're sort of like it's sort of when like. Have, a, when have Dortmund had the best of seasons in the last decade, though? Like. Right. Well, no, but the thing is, they they were still producing players, and they've kind of stopped that. Um, right. They they but, sort of had. 
they've moved on to flipping players. But even then, are you not a like, Torgan Hazard guy? Oh my God, Hazard privilege. Um, <laughs> I just I just call him Hazard. If his name wasn't Hazard and his brother wasn't Eden, he would be nowhere near the Champions League. He's freaking terrible. Um, or the Belgium squad. Yeah. Um, they they've they've flipped players, but like they've always had the conveyor belt going of like, okay, you leave this year, next year we'll have somebody, next year we'll have somebody, and now they have um Holland and then it'll be Bellingham and then there's they don't really have that next guy. Yeah, I think Daniel Malin is maybe a little bit older than um I think maybe you would think for his stage of development. Um if he can like start turning things up pretty quickly over the next couple of years, maybe he could be someone they flip, but I'm not so sure. And like the the rest of their, the whole thing was that Dortmund used to be like filled with like young, exciting players. And like the rest of them are getting old. I mean, Marco Royce, yep. 32, uh, Hummels, 33, Julian Brandt is 25, which means this is what Julian Brandt is, which is good. Not amazing. Uh, Dahoud is 26. Okay. That's a good player to have. Axel Witzel's 33. Rafael Guerrero, who's like the up-and-coming left-back, 28. Emery Chan, Dorgan Hazard's 28. Like, they're a pretty old the team now. Jesse Lingard. Yeah. No, nah, Guerrero was just like the guy who was supposed to, like, take the next step and be like this great, like, this great attacking left-back, and he just never became that. But it's like, he never got good oh, at the Oh, so back the left side part. of DNA But they also would play him in midfield a lot. Yeah. He, he can take free kicks, and he's pretty good at, you know, getting into the box or setting a cross in. That's about it. Um, so, so I've got yeah, to go. Yeah, the left side of Diego Dello. So I've got to go, um, but I will leave you guys to finish this podcast. Um, I, I trust, trust it in your hands. Um, now that's your first mistake. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. If if I come back and the podcast is like an hour and 45 minutes long, I'll just assume you guys started talking about the U.S. men's national team. Or, if you come back and the podcast is still going. Yeah. <laughs> Chat's still open. Or if you come back and the podcast, we're 28 minutes in. Like, what if you come we're, back and the podcast is over after 32 minutes? <laughs> we're breaking down the Obi-Wan Kenobi poster. Anyways. Right. I'll see you guys. So, Polly, next United game up on the slate, playing Southampton. They're having a decent run of form, just coming off a, a nice win off of Tottenham. We've previously drawn them after we scored the own goal against ourselves. Well, Fred did. Uh, and then Mason Greenwood, of course, uh, scoring an equalizer, but that game finishing 1-1, that was way, way back uh, in a time that seems like uh, just years behind where we're at right now. Before the dark uh, times. Your, during the Clone Wars. Well, I mean, I feel like it was kind of dark times at that point too, but it's the, the times have gotten darker. Um, well, no, we, that was we for, we won five one, and then yeah, like that was the game that everybody said, "Oh, we're playing really bad." When we really weren't, it was just like Southampton were basically like, "We're gonna make Fred do everything." We're not going to let you just easily pass the ball to Paul Pogba or Bruno Fernandez. We're going to make Fred have to make these passes, which it didn't help that Anthony Marcial was like a non-entity in that match. And oh, Fred, geez, I forgot. 
I was thinking that game was like early September. It was even before the Ronaldo signing. Yeah. And it was, it was just Fred gave the ball away a lot because he was trying to make passes that he's just not good enough to do. But also we were playing with two up top, one of whom was a non-entity. And then eventually in the second half, United brought on Sancho and they started cooking. But after 15 or so, they were going to win that game. But after 15 minutes, they took off Fred because I guess he, he was actively bad or he was noticeably it was, the things he was bad at were the noticeable ones. Uh, like he's giving the ball away. He was doing a lot of good things that were flying under the radar and they took him off and immediately lost their, the midfield industry. And like just immediately the game flipped and United had no chance. I think they had one shot over the last 20 minutes after Fred came off. They had no more chance of winning. So I think if they left Fred on for another 10 to 15 minutes, despite the turnovers, they probably win that game. And then that week yeah. they signed Ronaldo. So I feel like maybe this was a little bit of a harbinger of things to come because it was a, another game where United uh, nearly doubles the amount of shots the opponent took despite only putting one more on target than Southampton did. And Southampton had a real shot on a on a defensive lap, lapse of nearly taking the lead again going up 2-1 um, where De Gea made an outrageously good basically point blank save. Um, so this was just another game where United really wasn't like creating the necessarily quality chances that would give them a lead or give them, you they know, were awful in attack that day. Yeah. It, they certainly weren't even close to generating the quality that would have given them a lead. Like they took against leads just eight days prior. So based on how things are going, Southampton is right now 10th on the table. Um, it's an interesting match now to see Ragnick versus Hasenhutl. I think that's going to be a really interesting part of it. And Southampton played very well at Old Trafford. They usually come and bring it, rather other than the last season where they had a man sent off 90 seconds into the match. And even then, it took United like 30 minutes to get a breakthrough. And then once they did, it was over from there. Southampton kind of just gave up. So it'll be interesting. I like the fact that it's uh that it's early, so that we get it out of the way by lunchtime. I'll have moved on and forgotten about it, and that it's on a weekend, so I can go to the bar. And if it goes badly, I can be in a place where I could just drink. Yeah, I'm gonna need United to play well because uh, right after that game is over, I gotta hop in my car and drive up to uh, Washington D.C. for the Richmond Kickers' uh, first preseason match. So, uh, I always like to go into a kicker's game after I watch good football, you know, it just, I got bad news for you there. <laughs> I know. Isn't that disappointing? Um, we're not even going to get, get into score predictions. I don't think, because I think, uh, one, one is probably just dominating the clubhouse right now, as far as uh, placing your bets. Um, here's the question though, cause this is obviously the topic on the social medias where everybody's just like, we're the worst thing in the world. Are you dropping Harry Maguire? Well, the problem with that question is who are you dropping him for? That's that, exactly. <laughs> because the, I don't know if people realize this, but, and I don't swim in these circles because I like Victor Lindelof, but I know there's a lot of people who don't like Victor Lindelof. 
that's going to be the guy that starts, right? It's either Lindelof or, uh, because I think, did, did Bayi get hurt again? I'm going to assume Bayi's hurt. So that, is it Phil Jones? Like, what are we doing? Lindelof, so, but like, would you start Lindelof, who's coming off of like a family trauma, was the words that were put to me. Because I, I spoke to two people today, um, or one yesterday, one today, where I said, uh, whatever, semantics. Call me crazy, but if you were going to drop him, because I did ask this question to somebody, and your question was exactly how they responded. Dropping him for who? And... Erwan Basaka. <laughs> and... I said, from a purely profile standpoint, the most like-for-like substitution we have in our squad for Maguire is Phil Jones. And one person just straight up said, uh, yeah, probably because he's the only one that can play with the ball at his feet. And the other person in all caps wrote back, they called me mad when I said Maguire was just a deluxe Phil Jones. Both enormous foreheads. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, like, here's, and, and, and then we got into this conversation of like what is Maguire and and here's part of the issue with it all in that it was it described Maguire like we've I think we've talked about this before Michael Cox has described defenders as you could be dogs and cats and that the best partnership features a dog and a cat there's the more aggressive one the dog than the than the more um conservative one yeah it will be the cat you know Etc. And so he described it as he described it as Batman and Robin, and as Maguire is a Robin who is forced to play Batman. But Victor Lindelof is a is a Robin. Eric Bailly is um Eric Bailly is very much a Robin, and Raphael Varane is like the elite Robin. But he's always been the second guy, like he was just playing next to Sergio Ramos, which forces Maguire into that Batman role. And I, I think it's a little more complicated than that. I don't, I think Maguire, I don't think Batman and Robin is the best way to describe it because I think Maguire, if we're keeping the superhero analogy going, he's not a sidekick. He he plays just fine in the England setup, and his partner there is John Stones. Like he's not the Robin to in, in that partnership. He's still the Batman. It's it works just fine. Do we so, need like Thor Hulk from Ragnarok? So that's that's basically my thing is that he's not a sidekick. He can headline his own movie, but he needs to have a sidekick in the movie. He cannot carry the movie himself. And it's kind of like yeah, like Thor. They brought him. They gave him Hulk. They always make sure that Tom Hiddleston is around, uh, like be, because he couldn't carry those first two movies, something like that. The the thing is though, everybody right now is so mad about Maguire. Oh, he made all he does is make mistakes, and how could you drop him? And it's everybody's screaming like, how can you even play him? It, which is funny because we we've heard this since what October November. People have. People have said to me when when Ollie was still in charge, um, 
no other manager on the planet would be playing Maguire. And then since then, he has started like every single match for England. Uh, Ollie was sacked. Michael Carrick started him in every match. Uh, then Ragnick came in and Ragnick started him until he got hurt. And then from there, um, he did leave him out against Brentford, which I was a little surprised about. And then I was very surprised that he didn't bring him on at halftime in that match. I think the Lindelof trauma was a very convenient excuse to get him back into the team. I think he would have came back into the team anyway. And like, you can't take him out because at the end of the day, the team is so much better when Maguire's in there. I agree. (laughs) That's the problem that we run into. It's always, it's, we've always said who, who are you going to place, replace him with in the squad? Because that's always been a point of contention. And then on top of that, I'm just so tired. And this is why I get, I'm so nonplussed about social media at this point when it comes to like United Twitter and the reasons why we are now advocating for people who are upset after these games to maybe just not go on Twitter is the vitriol that if Harry Maguire costs 40 million pounds, I don't think people would be like bitching this much, but it's because he costs 80 million and it's not his fault. Lester asked for 80 million and Manchester United said, here, here you go. Thanks. Right. He didn't say, and he didn't say I'm not signing for you unless you pay 80 million. Yeah. It's not like Harry Maguire came out and said, Hey, I'm better than Virgil van Dyke, and therefore I command a transfer fee that's higher than Virgil van Dyke. This is just literally how capitalism works, guys. Virgil van Dyke sold for 70 something odd million. And so Lester said, yeah, let's try and get that. And Virgil van Dyke was the, was the final piece, whereas Maguire was the first piece. Yeah. So, and then people get, and then the other issue that we're running into is captaincy. And people are all, they're like, strip him of the captaincy. Maguire can't be captain. Um, I don't know. I, I get the vibe from him that, like, probably the players do respect him. He seems like he does command uh, just, he's a commanding presence. I mean, he, he's your 80 million pound defender playing a center back role. You do see a lot of center backs kind of take on that on that captaincy role because they're kind of the hard nosed guys, and you know they can get get a reaction out of other players, and they see the whole pitch as the game's progressing too. So that way they can kind of dictate um, from their position. So then you run into the problem of all right, who's going to be captain? If you're like so upset that he's the United captain, is it going to be Bruno Fernandez like people want? Is it going to be David De Gea because that's the safe option? Uh, you know, there's a bunch of people who are probably like, uh, Ronaldo needs to be captain. And I don't know about all that, if he's even going to be on this team next year. So again, like who are you going to replace, who are you going to replace the captaincy with? Is it maybe just give it to Sancho? I like Sancho. <laughs> That's my guy. The captaincy is an interesting one because for, I mean, people were, have been mad about it since day one. Like they were mad. They were mad that Maguire cost 80 million. Then they were mad. Oh, what a waste of 80 million. Oh, now you're making him captain. Why is he still captain? It's an, it's an interesting one because I've also said like Ralph Ragnick has come into the club now and Ralph Ragnick has been brutally honest with his assessment of the club and players and where they stand. And he's very honest with the media, which means, um, 
he's probably not mincing words in the dressing room. Right. He's probably um, dead on honest to the players, too. And he has come in and he has not stripped McGuire of the captaincy, which means he has probably looked around and said, no, yeah, this this man is doing a good job as captain. And this is the guy that I want to be doing the job. And it it drives people so I, I actually saw someone, I think it was yesterday, just say Maguire shouldn't be captain because last year during a match, Marcus Rashford called him a knobhead and yelled at him. And it was like the fact that he disrespects him. And this is the same situation, actually, that um, when we had Carl on over the summer, Carl brought this exact game up against Crystal Palace where he said part of the reason Maguire is captain is because he'll yell at you in a game and sometimes players yell back like he got into that spat with Marcus Rashford but they have it out and five minutes later it's like it didn't happen there's no lingering feelings it's Maguire has his say you yell back and Maguire takes that and then okay we had it out and we had it say but like also I'm sure that the person who is saying Maguire shouldn't be captain because a player yelled at him is probably advocating that Bruno Fernandez should be the captain and it's like, well, by that token, Victor Lindelof yelled at him and called him a knobhead during a match, and that was caught on camera. So, like, if it's disrespectful to yell at a guy and you're going to bring up one example as why he can't be captain, well, then your guy, if that is your guy, is out. And, like, and look, like, when I said the team is better with Maguire in it, he is overall a net positive. No one is going to sit here and tell you that like Maguire is the greatest defender and has pace and is great 1v1 and doesn't make errors. No one in their right mind will tell you that. But he brings so much else to the table that this team needs because there are so many other players in the team that can't do that job. You need McGuire to be a ball progressor and very good on the ball and a passer because you're so hellbent on playing this academy graduate kid for the last three years in midfield who cannot pass and cannot move the ball forward. And if he's going to be there, then you need McGuire to do the job for him. And that's part of why, like, this is what Suede and I were talking about yesterday is how many players on United? Shaw, McGuire. Pogba, Bruno, are weighed down because they have to do their job and someone else, and up, and they have to share the duties of other players because those players cannot do the job. And that makes it makes them less effective at their own job and puts them into prone positions where they might look bad. And it's it's just like like United fans despise two of the best players that they have on this team and want them off and want them gone when it's like you do realize they're like and I mean they don't they they don't realize it it's you lose so much when they're not on the pitch it's like Maguire is bad at A and B so you want him dropped beat for a different player who's good at A and B but that player is bad at C, D, E, and F. But to the average fan, it's just like, oh, defender, he defended he defended well. So, you know, you take McGuire and look, 
when Maguire plays, like United are creating a lot more scoring opportunities. They take a lot more shots. They're scoring more goals. Uh, when he, they are, their expected goals against is actually somehow because he did play in those Liverpool and Leicester games. It's still lower with Maguire on the pitch than without him. And like you look at the opponents that they played without Maguire, it's not murderer's row by any stretch of the imagination. They have not kept a clean sheet without Harry Maguire in the team. So you're probably going to concede a goal anyway. And and by the way, if you strip out those Leicester and, uh, and Liverpool matches, United are conceding under one goal per game when Maguire's been on the pitch. And those games, it's fair to say, are are pretty much outliers. He was injured. He was not even close to 100% fit. Um, United have conceded four goals or more in a game five times in the last three years in all competitions, one of which Maguire didn't even play in. Three of those games featured red cards. It's safe to say that that is not the norm. And if you think five out of well over 100 games is uh normal or re or just it occurs often then sorry for not mincing words but you are an idiot i'd rather take um like if you're gonna concede a goal anyway i'd rather bring on the guy where you score more goals and so if you take mcguire who is like a b okay you have to protect against that which their midfielders don't do, and it exposes them all the time. So you take him out for a guy who is good at A and B, but not good at C, D, E, and F, and it's like, oh, we still conceded a goal, but now you're only scoring at most one goal, or you're losing one nil. To the average fan, it's like, oh, okay, well, the defense did its job. That's on the attack. And they don't process that it's like one would help out the other. Look, man, United Twitter just wants to cut off its nose despite its face. I think that's what it is. It comes, yeah, like we, I said it before. It comes down to like the way that United Twitter is and the way that the club is run is everybody just believes we're one, we're one man away. Get us a center back. That'll fix the defense. Get us, get us a striker. We'll score goals. Get us Pochettino or Ten Hag, whichever camp you're in, that's going to solve the issue. Get us Declan Rice. Our midfield is, is set. No, Declan Rice is not going to solve the midfield issue. Did I see Luis Enrique's now being linked to the job? He is. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. There was, I mean, it, it, there's there just doesn't seem to be a plan. But at the same time, if you continue to have just a nothing – in the most important position in, in like people keep asking how, like how is a team this talented, not right there at the top. And it's because, well, your most important position in the field, you still have absolute crap there. And until you fix that, doesn't matter what you have anywhere else. Yeah. Well, and look at the teams that were trying to chase the, the title. Uh, Manchester city went from Fernandinho to Rodri. Uh, Liverpool's got Fabinho, Chelsea's Thiago, got Conte. And Henderson. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, our mid the midfield just doesn't stack up. Sure, maybe like it, it 
in one-to-one comparisons, maybe Pogba or, or Bruno is better than whatever other midfielder you want to compare him to. But at the end of the day, like in that linchpin position, it is not even close. As Wade and I were talking yesterday, and we were both just like, do you, do you think it's crazy to like play Pogba as the deepest midfielder with Fred and and Bruno ahead of him? Because he's got the passing ability to do that. He's got the positional discipline. He's not going – when when you tell Pogba don't go running into the box, he doesn't. And he's not going to chase the ball like a puppy the way McTominay does. He will be bad once the ball gets by him. Like once runners get by him, that's where he's really bad. But he's – positionally, he does the job well. He's very good at delaying. I'm going to take away your your primary option and force you to hold up while my teammates get back, which is exactly what you want from a defensive midfielder. Like people keep looking at the tackles and the interceptions. And it's like Monumentich doesn't have a lot of tackles or interceptions. He's very good at delaying and letting his players get back so that you can't run at the defense. And then you stop and maybe you, maybe you make a few more passes, but eventually you lose the ball. Eventually it goes out of bounds. Eventually you try a ball over the top that goes out for a goal kick. You don't have to win the ball back defensively. And like Pogba can do that, but like, and he's got the passing that would make him successful there. It's just such a dumb way of using Paul Pogba because he could be so much more than that. Yep. And so we can, <laughs> this is just a problem we've been dealing with since uh, 2016, 17, 16, 16, 17. Well, I mean, at one point they figured out how to use him, but yeah. then they let, and and I would I would argue that they did a that Fred has eighty five to ninety percent replaced under Herrera, but you don't have the you don't have the Matic sitting sitting deep there, and it's just terrible. Like we we spoke about this Tuesday night, you, me, and Colin. Like McTominay has played better since Ralph Ragnick has come in, and he is just nowhere near good enough. And it's becoming so obvious because Ragnick's system really emphasizes that holding midfielder. And if he was good, if it was good enough, we would not be struggling to beat Newcastle and Burnley and Norwich and all these bottom teams that we're facing. This it's literally a the goals against might not all be on the midfield, but like lack of getting the ball forward to your attacking players who are good. Midfield problem. Like, it's it's just painfully not good enough, and somehow we are stuck here for the rest of the season, and that's going to be our undoing. Well, as we continue to say, Manchester United will never find success until Scott McTominay can play his little heart out for the badge off of the bench or starting in cup matches. Um, and until that point, it, it's clearly a deficiency in that position. Uh, that he plays so, so regularly. Um, so let's start the campaign. Tyler Adams. Let's get my guy in. I mean, get, get your guy and get three guys in. Like, that's the thing. It's like, is, is Tyler Adams and Weston bring them both in. But they're literally looking at us at a situation right now where you have three midfielders, only Nemanja Matic. Last year it was like Matic can't play twice a week. And now we've already seen like Matic can't play more than 70 minutes. He starts a match at the 70th minute mark. He starts to tire. And that's what happened against Aston Villa. It's what happened against Leicester. You literally have 
two and a half midfielders plus like Pogba somewhere in there. It's a joke. Um, so kind of related to that then, and th- this is maybe what we finish on now that we're running about 60 minutes on the pod. Um, obviously no business was done. We saw a couple of people just like exit the club, um, either out on loan. Um, but we saw right Nick after January's windows clo- closed that he talked about how Hannibal was going to be at this point, a senior player. Uh, he's going to be training with the first team and that he should expect to play minutes for the, the senior team that they rate him and that it's time for him to start getting blood into the squad. Uh, based on the little bit that we've seen of him, you know, is, is that a guy that you expect at the very least could get some consistent minutes towards the end of the season, almost like how we saw, uh, this is an example that's aging like milk now, but you know, we saw towards the end of Mason Greenwood first coming into the United squad that he started playing more and more towards the end of that season and then featured more regularly going into the next season. So do you think that maybe that's the trajectory at this point for Hannibal this year? And maybe he could help provide a little bit of a, of a spark or at least give us some hope in the summer. I think he will play. I think he will play more. Although it wasn't great that like he was on the bench for the FA cup and Juan Mata came in over him because that's, that was tough. Yeah. That, and that's the kind of situation where you throw a young player on and say, let's see what you got. Go. Although Juan smashed his penalty. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it would have, if, if that was Ralph's thinking of, if this goes to penalties, I'd rather have the old head of Mata on, um, then that makes sense. And you're kind of vindicated in that because it was the youngster who missed whether, you know, first time that first time taking a senior penalty, like that's not an easy thing to step into. And you probably want to limit how many players you have in your team doing that. Um, but yeah, you know, a, a uh, scoreless a tie game is, is harder. Like we saw this two years ago with Mason Greenwood was if United were trailing in a match in the 55th minute, Ollie would bring him on. If they were level, he'd wait till like the 83rd minute. And you'd be like, well, that's not a lot of time for him to have an impact in the game. And it's like, yeah, well, he doesn't play defense. So it also minimizes the amount of time where it's like, I'm worried about the other team going and scoring a winner against us. So, yeah, like a tie, maybe not, but like, yes, that would have been the right time to put Hannibal in. I do think he will ultimately get minutes and play. Does he solve the problem? No. I mean, look, I'm not, there, there are many people that have watched more Hannibal than me. Um, and I'm not, I, I don't know the most about him, but from what I've seen and from what I hear and from who the people I speak to and, and everybody says, Oh yeah, he can play midfield. And it's like, can play midfield sounds a lot like Paul Pogba and Donnie Van de Beek and Deli Ali and Tang and Dumble and all these guys who are like, you can play midfield, but you're really good on the ball. So eventually we're just going to be like, we want you to be higher up the pitch which is where he plays for Algeria and where he's played for the reserves. And, and do you do the defensive things? And, or can you like, I, from what I gather, he seems like someone who's between an under Herrera and a Bruno. 
And it's like, all right, fine. Yeah, you could play in midfield. You could play in that midfield three and do that. But you're not, you can't play as the deepest midfielder there. So again, like, great to put Hannibal in there and fulfill that role and do the running and the dirty work and, and this stuff and also have these great on ball skills where you can create. But is that solving the problem? It's going to be fascinating this summer with Jimmy Garner. It's, I, just, I cannot believe they let him go. It just looks dumber and dumber every day, whether he's the you answer the or we not. Let him go? I think whether, we sat here on this podcast and I looked at you and I was like, why do we do that? Why are we doing this? And like, whether he's the answer or not, it would be nice to have three guys that can come in there and play as opposed to like two, maybe one. And I just remember people being like, well, why would they, like, they need to get Garner on loan. They have Matic, Pogba, uh, McTominay, and Fred. Like, he's never going to play, and he needs games. And I was like, yeah, well, that's assuming no one gets hurt, which never happens. That's also assuming that, like, form doesn't take over, and, like, people don't drop out of form, or, like, you know, maybe he's not physically ready in August, but in December or January, he he's grown more and bulked up more, and he is more ready, and he can come in against players who have who have wear and tear on them from a season when he doesn't. And I was like, just because he's, he might not be top of the pecking order now, doesn't mean he won't be there in December or January. And it'd be really freaking nice to have him on the team right now. It is. It was just absolutely insane thinking. Uh, Pogba has never played a full season since he's rejoined United. Uh, Uh, Okay. Outside of that though, he always seems to miss like one out of five, one out of five ain't bad. He always at least misses a month with some kind of like, all right, is it an ankle? Is it a knee? Is it what, what's going on? That's that doesn't seem great that he's got to go off to Dubai and ride on a bicycle for the next five weeks or whatever. Uh, Matic has been we know what Matic is at this point. Like we're, we went from he can only play once a week to now maybe only it's like twice a month. Like he's starting to it's, play about he it. can't play more than seven minutes. Yeah, I mean, you can play Matic as much as you get a paycheck in a month at this point. Um, and then Juan, Juan Mata just got his first set of minutes, I think, the whole season just now and against Middlesbrough. Like, I mean, I don't understand what the thinking was when we looked at all the veteran midfielders and thought, yeah, Jimmy Garner's not going to get enough playing time, surely. I remember Luckhurst, like, tweeting about it or writing an article about it at the beginning of the season, like, Andreas Pereira was like counted in that bunch. Yeah. Well, I and guess I like, Andreas Pereira is like, not a midfielder. You did have Van de Beek, and the expectation was that he was going to play more this year. Um, but again, uh, that is like just aging so terribly with with every minute that we spend speaking about the subject as he now sits at Everton. So. Good times. Yeah, just go we, out there. I really love what's going on at Manchester United right now. Try not to lose to Southampton. Yes. Well, everybody, I don't know, whatever rituals that you do prior to a game, make sure you do them very, very correctly. And let's see if we can uh, will this team to, to get a W because I, I can't. I cannot wake up at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and watch another bad draw. And I feel like we're destined for it. Every time we play at 7.30 and I set an alarm to watch a game, we stink. I don't think <laughs> I've ever been satisfied during a 7.30 a.m. kickoff. 
So I don't know. I'm, it's giving me a concern, but then again, also what is maybe giving me a little bit of cause for pause is Ralph Hassan Hoodle said that he was so proud of his guys after that Tottenham game and that it was one of the best performances he's ever seen his team. Uh, do. Left so down game. Left down a, game. <laughs> yeah, that's an incredible jinx. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right. That'll do it for us. Yeah. So everybody, if you haven't gotten a chance yet, go read Colin's article. Uh, figure out ways to cool your jets after Manchester United disappoints you. Uh, there, there's plenty of ways or to channel your Or just expect the worst and you can't be disappointed. Expect the worst and you can't be disappointed. That is also true. Um, and if all else fails, just listen to some Beach House or something. I don't know. I've been Nathan. <laughs> and I'm Paul. <laughs> Later. <laughs>